Today's scripture reading is from Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the living word of God for us today. Thank you, Sharon. We're in the third of five messages uh, that we are doing to kick off this school year called A Generous Table. Uh, It's the beginning of the ministry year, really, for for most churches, including our own. Uh, It's a series in which Rob and I, we we do this at this time of year because it's this little window we want to say, let's, let's, as everything gets going, so to speak, in a school year, let's not forget what matters most. Uh, Let's take a hard look at what we have to keep our eye on and what we, we, we simply cannot afford to forget this. Now, when I say that, it, it is our mission and our discipleship pathway. It's what we just looked at on the screens. And in years past, we've gone through those statements word by word, section by section, and, and which is appropriate. But this year, the, we feel like the Spirit has led that we would approach it a different way, and it's certainly a biblical way in this regard. When God wants his people to remember something, he gives them a picture. It's in the Bible. When he does not want us to forget, he gives us an an image, a picture. It's how he wired the human brain. (laughs) Excuse me. We remember what we see way more than the text that we read. And so the picture that we think God doesn't want us to miss, because when you read your Bible, you you can't miss it, took us to Psalm 78. That's where we started two weeks ago. In that Psalm, the people of God ask a question, and that question led us to this picture. Psalm 78, the people of God say, can God spread a table in the wilderness? And Rob and I suggested that that question is the question that all of us are always asking. And you say, well, I've never asked that question. Well, let me put it in this context. When life isn't going the way you hoped it would, when something breaks, when life gets to a place where like, I can't hold it together, when you get to the end of your rope, when you get the bad news, when things are not going well, we do ask, God, are you there? God, will you come through even in this? God, are you gonna provide when we see no way of provision? You see, really what what you're saying under those 
statements and questions is we're really asking God, can you spread a table? Can you make provision? Can you, will you come through for me in my wilderness, you see? And where that question sent us is on a biblical survey that took us all the way to Genesis 1 because we wanted to start at the beginning where we noted that God in the garden, we can say, set a table. He spread a table for Adam and Eve. What do you mean he spread a table? He, he, he provided all that they needed and required. And Adam and Eve looked at the table of God and said, that's not enough. That, that's underneath what, why they took the fruit, took and ate where they weren't to eat. And what we suggested is if you go from Genesis to Revelation, you will see that God continually sets a table for his people. He spreads a table for his people. He, this is what you need. And his people say, I need a little more. God spreads a table for his people and his people say, that's not enough. That, when I say, that's me. We say, God, that's not enough. It's a story of a fallen humanity and a gracious God. And so last week, uh, Rob, he picked up Exodus 24, one through 11, and he unpacked one of the strangest passages in the Old Testament. It's the story of Moses. You gotta keep the context in mind. God has just, and we're gonna come back to this in a moment. God has just brought his people out of bondage in Egypt. He's taken them to the promised land. So after he has delivered them, they meet with God. And we read in Exodus 24, 11, and they, these are the leaders, 73 leaders with Moses. So the leaders representing the people. And they saw the God of Israel. He did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. That is a strange and rich statement. How can they have a meal with God and live? Because you see in Exodus 33, Moses is going to request that he'd like to see God, and God responds there, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And yet in 20, Exodus 24, they, they had, there's nothing more intimate than, than the, the eating of a meal, the sharing of a meal, so to speak, between God and his people. They, they were intimate with God and they lived. How can that happen? The reason we can't be in his presence and live is because we have a problem with sin. Sin is the, 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 the anything not holy. It's us missing the mark of God's holiness. And we know in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death, that God is sinless. Uh, we are sinful and therefore sin cannot be in the presence of God. So if we're sinful, we can't be in God's presence and survive because sin does not survive in God's presence. It can't be in God's presence. So how was it that they were able to share that meal? You gotta remember, and if you missed the message, please listen to it, because these messages build on each other. He did an amazing job. And he took us back and reminded us of what Moses did before they had the meal with God. Do you remember that? What Moses did was he took an ox and he killed it. And he took the blood from this ox and he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. 
Then he took the other half of the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar where, where God would meet his people. I've got this up here, just representative of the altar for those on the far side. So you got a blood-covered altar, a blood-covered people. What in the world is that? Well, here's what that is. That before they could meet with God, they have to have their sins covered. If the wages of sin is death, something's got to die. Somebody's got to die before you can be in God's presence to deal with your sin. And so what God determined was you can kill the, uh, the, the, the unblemished ox. In other words, this, this animal doesn't deserve to die. There's nothing wrong with this animal. So the innocent animal is killed and, and the life is in the blood. As the Bible says, the blood is over the people. It's on the altar. And therefore, under that blood of the innocent one, the substitute, the people could meet with God. The judgment on sin went on the, the substitute. Does that make sense? So that, that's what was happening. And so then they could, uh, they could then eat with God and live. In the Old Testament, that um, sin problem would be covered a key word, it would be covered over. And when they wanted to meet with God again, they had to kill something else. And when they wanted to meet with God again, they had to kill another one. When they meet with God, so they just, this is the sacrificial system. You gotta kill, something's gotta die before you can be with a holy God. And that's the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Now, the principle, and I'm gonna unpack this and you're gonna see this visually, and that's why I have this up here, is that the altar... The altar always precedes the table. The altar is required before there can be the fellowship with God. Is everybody with me on that? Well, God, and I know in many ways you're aware of this, God is, all of this is preparing God's people for their Messiah, for the Savior to come. It's all pointing to, this is how God's gonna deal with your problem, the Savior that would come and deliver them. No animal uh, is, can deal with the problem fully and wholly. It can only cover over for, it a, per for a period of time. And so he he here's what we wanna do, is we wanna take our wide-angle lens which was, is you know Genesis to Revelation. God sets a table, that table's not enough. God we want to take the wide-angle lens, put it aside, and take the telephoto lens, and we're going to zoom in. We're going to, we're going to zoom in on the New Testament, and we're going to zoom in on the table of the New Testament. If, if God has given us a picture, our expectation is that we would see it clearly. And this is where we see it clearly in our text in Luke chapter 22. This is the table God doesn't want us to forget. So if you're there, great. If you're not, turn to Luke 22. We're taking verses 14 to 20 that Sharon just read. You're probably familiar with the Old Testament statement or the statement that Augustine made, church father. He said this. He said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And that the, the New Testament okay, is the Old Testament revealed, opened up. Now, what does that mean? Kaiser, you're totally okay. Don't be embarrassed. Chris, White, don't be embarrassed. 
I know you're not. All is good. So, the, so what, what is Augustine is saying is this. The, the, the Old Testament, you all, is, is foreshadowing the New Testament, but things in the Old Testament are confusing. They're foggy. They're not clear. Okay, it's there, but it's not clear. But then when we get to the New Testament, what was cloudy is now revealed. It's now, oh, that's what that was all about. That's the New Testament. So if we think of this table image, would you agree with me? If that's true, then we would expect the New Testament to show us a table in such vivid color, it just blows everything in the Old Testament away in a sense. And I would say, yeah, I would expect the New Testament to do that because that's what the New Testament does. And oh my does it do so so clearly at the Lord's table, which is what this is describing. The Lord's table, we're gonna look at it in two parts, preparation and participation. Real simple, preparation, participation. I want you to look at verses 14 to 18. First of all, this is the preparation of this table. God's word to us today. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is the preparation. If there's one thing that Rob and I so desire for us as a community of faith, it would be, it would be this, that we would be a people who read our Bible. Let's start there. We would read our Bible. Now, we would read it in such a way that when we read a part of the Bible, we know how that part fits into the whole, okay? That's how we would read our Bible. Uh, Lisa and I went to a movie two weeks ago, and it, and it was just before I taught this at Brentwood, it made me think of it in this way. Could you imagine going with a friend, your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you go to a movie, and uh, you miss the first 10 minutes. You go out of the movie, okay? Miss the whole, you miss the beginning. But you come in, and you catch the next 10. And you got to go back out for something and you miss the next 15, but you come in and you catch five. Then you got to go back out and you miss 10 more minutes, but you come in and you catch two. Or th- and so the whole movie, you're in and out, and lo and behold, you miss the ending. And on your way home, you look at your friend, your spouse, you go, I didn't like that movie. It didn't make any sense, you know? And they're going to look at you like what? Well, you're crazy. Do you know, myself included, Many of us read the Bible like that. You know, we miss the beginning, but we drop in here, we pull out, we drop in here. And uh, no shame, I want you to know, but when we read the Bible like that, what happens? And what do we say? It's just too hard to read. I don't know what it means. That's, too di- that's what we do. We, we don't know what in the world that meant. Now, why am I starting here in this? Because in these four verses, y'all, It is so freighted 
with the whole story of the Bible. That if we don't know the story in whole, we'll read this and go, I, I don't know what he's talking about. It doesn't make any sense to me, and we move on. See, in time, I mean this. I pray that we would be a people who read the Bible like we're going to see a movie for the hundredth time. Because, because when we go for the hundredth time, yes, we know exactly what's coming and what's going to happen next. But I'll tell you something. The treasures of the Bible are inexhaustible. And God yields up those truths to those who've spent enough time in it and know it. That when you read it, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. Now, in this passage, see, what I've read, we've been launched 2,000 years back into Israel's history to a meal that is so central to the whole story of the Bible and to the Jews that if we don't know that, we miss it. And this meal, Passover, if you were to take Christmas meal and Thanksgiving meal, tie them together, multiply them by 100 for us, uh, it wouldn't be as significant as this one meal is to them. And so we got to understand it. And so uh, what, what I'd like to do in this uh, preparation really is give us a biblical overview. Um, and, and the way to do it is, as you're looking at me, I just want you to think about it this way. I've got the Old Testament on this side of the podium, and I've got the New Testament on this side of the podium. Everybody with me? And so when you know, it, what we're reading here is New Testament, but Jesus says something that's Old Testament. And so we got to go back here to identify what exactly he's talking about. And here's what he's talking about. The Passover meal. It's what they're celebrating. It takes us back to Exodus. It takes us back to a time when God's people were in bondage in Egypt. They weren't even a nation really yet. This is, this is the birth of a nation. They're slaves in Egypt, and God, in his timing, decides it's time to bring my people out of Egypt and slavery to freedom. And so he acts on their behalf, sends in Moses. You know, many of you know this story and the plagues, et cetera, on Egypt. And God says, this is the moment when I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. And so on the night before the day they're going to walk out of Egypt, he instructs them and says... Every Jew needs to kill an unblemished lamb. Hmm, that's kind of like the ox. He kills, you know, a, a, a later, unblemished. In other words, a lamb that's perfect, a lamb that has no reason to die. There's no reason to kill this lamb, but you need to kill that lamb. And you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to put it on your doorpost. Now, when you say door, just put it on your door frame. So, so like paint, rub this blood on the top frame of the door and the entrance to your house. And that night, the death angel passed over Egypt. And when the death angel went over a home that had blood on the entry to the home, the angel passed over that home. When the angel was over a home that had no blood on it, the firstborn was killed. This is all the firstborn in Egypt were killed for they were not under the blood of the lamb. Does this make sense? And then you know what they did with the lamb after it was slain and they put the blood on the doorpost? Seriously, you know what they did with it? Tell me. They ate it. How about that? I want you to think about that. 
We're going to shed the blood and we're going to eat it. <laughs> the altar and then the table. And there's a very regimented meal. You know, there's, I'll talk about this in a moment. There's, you know, there's four cups of wine they would drink. They would retell the story. There's a blessing. There's a big meal, all of this. this they would celebrate this they would celebrate the Passover. Y'all, this is for thousands of years. They celebrate the Passover. And the Passover is, 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 is reminding them of how God delivered them, but it's also pointing towards how he will deliver them. Everybody with me on that? Old Testament. Now we're coming to the New Testament. And Jesus is saying to them, I have earnestly desired. By the way, the literal Greek is, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover. It's, it's how they would emphasize the, you know, they wouldn't say, I really want to eat this with you. No, it's with desire, I've desired. Because in this Passover, this one we're reading about, Jesus reinterprets, so to speak, doesn't reinterpret, but fulfills the Passover meal that they celebrate year after year after year after year after year. This is the last one because it will mean so much more when it is done. And in this meal that Jesus has with them, I want you to think about this. The picture of Exodus is God's people in bondage to Egypt, delivered by the mighty hand of God under the blood of the innocent lamb. New Testament. Their problem and our problem and humanity's problem is not just Egypt, it's sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the problem. And so in the gospel, we find God is dealing with the problem of death, our bondage to death. And what does God do? He sends his only begotten son who lives the perfect life that we could never live. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said of Jesus, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now we're coming to that moment when Jesus is going to literally give his life on the cross. And Jesus is saying to them, get this picture in your head. And he'll say that, the, I'll say this in a moment, but he'll say that this covenant in a moment he'll, with the cup, you know, it's the new covenant in my blood. In other words, we know what's getting ready to happen. Jesus is getting ready to give his life. He's the innocent lamb the life is in the blood. He will, his blood will be poured out. He will be buried and he will rise again because he will have paid the penalty for death for all who would put their trust in him. And this is, this is what the last, this Passover meal is symbolizing. Does this make sense? So it's like, oh, wait. So in the Old Testament, there was the, there was deliverance from Egypt, the birth of the nation. In the New Testament, there is in Christ and the cross deliverance from the penalty of sin and the birth of the church. See, this, this was foreshadowing this. This looks a little foggy. Oh, that's what, this is what that was pointing to. Does this make sense? This is, this is the table we're speaking of. Interestingly, you know, in the Old Covenant, Jeremiah would say, remember we're in the Old Testament now, Jeremiah would say, through, God would say through Jeremiah, I'm gonna do something new. 
and I'm going to cut a new covenant with my people. And in the, the new covenant I'm going to cut with them, uh, I am going to give my people a new heart and the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in them. That's why we sang the Holy Spirit songs. So that was promised in the old. And you know, it's kind of like, what? I don't know what that means. What does that look like? What do you mean you're going to give a new heart? How does the Holy Spirit live in something? It's foggy. No, see, we get to the New Testament and we see that when you put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that what he did, he did for you. The Bible says, he gives you a new heart. And the Holy Spirit lives in you, indwells the Christian, such that in the Old Testament, it was outward obedience, keep these laws, which they couldn't. That was the point, to show them they couldn't. They needed someone who could keep them for them. We get to the New Testament and we find, oh my, I now have in me, within me, the Holy Spirit and I want to keep God's laws. Not for, you know, there's sanctification, but you see, it's totally different. This is inward. I've been changed inward. I have a new heart. <sighs> new covenant. And Jesus is going to say in a moment, this blood is poured out and this is the new covenant poured out. Everybody with me? If you will get these two anchors, just in your mind, let's start here. There are two great salvations in the Bible. There's the Exodus. And there's the cross. That, that takes a big 66 book, book, doesn't it? And simplify it a little bit for us. You gotta keep those two things in mind. And this one was always pointing at this one. Make sense? Preparation. Let's go to the participation. Verses 19 to 20. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, picture what they were seeing and what was happening in this meal. Jesus has broken this bread and he's holding this bread and he says, this is my body. Now, here's what I want you to know. What, what we believe the scripture teaches is that this is bread. And it's symbolic of his body. And some of you in the room come from a Catholic tradition or another tradition. And there you're taught that this bread literally becomes his body. We don't believe, we don't believe that's what's true. And we don't believe that is even what the scriptures are teaching. I want you to think about, even as Jesus said this, the bread was in his hand. The bread was distinct from his hand. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself, the, the body of Jesus, his resurrected body is at the right hand of the throne of the Father even now. In the same way when he takes the blood and he says, you know, this is my blood, we don't believe that when a priest blesses it or in a mass or in a moment that that blood literally becomes the blood of Jesus. It's symbolic of his blood. And what is blood? Life is in the blood, okay? Now, why would we, why would we say that? Because I think when we interpret our Bibles appropriately, contextually, that's what he's saying. Let me remind you of a few words in the Gospel of John. 
John 6, 52, then the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now those who believe that this bread and cup become flesh and blood, I want you to know, if you just took that as it is, I'd say, yeah, there's reason to go, wow, that's what he says. You can't argue with that. And we of all people, those of us who say, look, we take the Bible literally. You'd go, how do you argue with that? Well, here's how I would argue with it is I'd say, look, when we say we take the Bible literally, what that means is we take it in its grammar, in its history, in its context, in its literary structure. Jesus in the Gospel of John actually said, I'm the door. He actually said, I'm the true vine. And I'm telling you, we don't look at that and go, gosh, he's green, skinny, and has leaves coming off of him. No, we go, the vine, the nature of that vine is representing what Jesus is. You see that? So, so there's precedence and, and a good contextual reading of the Bible means we, we, we use these principles to understand this. And when Jesus said this, okay, what's the context? Context. What's the context of him saying that? You know what chapter six is about? Jesus in that chapter, if you'll read it, he looks at them and he says, believe that I am the son of God. That, the whole context is about believing Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, that's the context. Well, what about the context of the whole book? Well, John tells us. John tells us why he wrote this book. Chapter 21, verse 31, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Gang, Jesus is exhorting them to trust him, to put their confidence in him, to believe that he is who he says he is. And the the words when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood are symbolic of you need to believe and trust in me. John didn't get to the end and say, look, I've written this whole book so that you will eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. No, those were metaphors that served to say, I wrote the whole book so you'll trust Christ. And we see that through the whole New Testament. You never find anyone saying, eat, eat his blood, eat his body and drink his blood. No, it's always believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Does this make sense? You know, there's so much more theology under that, but I just wanna tell you why we would hold this as symbolic. When the bread which is bread is eaten and when one drinks the wine in the cup which is wine, we are physically embodying, this is profound, we are embodying, we're living out symbolically what we believe in our hearts. I cannot live without Jesus and he died in my place and the bread in the cup, symbolic of that. a mystery we can only catch a glimpse of right now, but I really believe this. Uh, In the fullness of this one day, we will recognize that every table in the Bible is Jesus. God's provision in the garden is Jesus. God's provision when Moses and the 73 met on the mountain is Jesus, that table. The table that God prepared before David in the presence of his enemies, it's Jesus. And what I want us to grasp and what we believe is that 
that in the New Testament, when it gets really clear, okay, like, like this is inarguable, this is clear, Jesus is the host, Jesus is the meal, Jesus is the table. Now, I want you to close your Bibles. Close your Bible up because we are going to conclude in a moment and we will come to the Lord's table. I want your hands to be free. I'm going to invite the band to come out. And those who are going to be serving the Lord's table, if you'd go ahead and get ready, don't serve it yet, but I'd like you to get ready to serve it. Everybody take a deep breath. There is so much mystery here and so much truth. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Being at the table with Jesus and each other is Jesus's desire fulfilled. Think about that. He wants to be with you at his table and you with others. So, so much he gave his life so that we could be at his table. No wonder, no wonder. I mean, I can't quite get my head around this, but so when, it's, when he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, can you imagine what that felt? This is not like 320 more days till Christmas. This is Jesus, the son of God, has patiently waited for that moment when by his blood shed his death and resurrection, he would secure our place at the table and he was so desirous. It is his hope fulfilled. Do you ever think you're not wanted or loved? Oh my goodness, if we could just pierce the veil on that, we would know how greatly we are loved. I want you to know that when we come to this table, we know this, and I want to remind you, it's not, it's not based on our sinlessness, is it? When we come to the Lord's table, it's based on his sinlessness. Let me tell you, when you take this bread and cup in a moment, in symbolic, we were at the table of Jesus. Let me tell you who's, let me tell you who's at the table, okay? And I'm going to take it. And let me tell you who's going to be around this table. Liars and thieves, idolaters, adulterers, murderers, the proud, the arrogant, the selfish, lusters and fornicators, addicts, schemers, and every unhealthy Enneagram number at its worst. <laughs> That's who comes to the table. You say, well, I can't come to the table because I'm that. Well, if you've put your faith in Christ, that's not who you are anymore. You are clothed in his righteousness. All your sins are forgiven. You go, well, gosh, you, know, you just don't know I've, what I've done since I've trusted Christ 20 years ago. You don't know what I did last night. And I go, yes, I do know. I do know. You did what I do. You sinned. You sinned before you got to church today. We, it, we, we, we do. We, in thought, indeed, whatever. I, I know what you did. You sinned. So we, don't, we can't go, well, I've sinned, so I can't come to the table. No, we, we, we've sinned and we say, thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for all my sin, past, present, and future. I'm running to the table because I'm coming to the table in Christ, you see, in his righteousness, in what he did for me. And you might say, well, are you saying there's no amount of sin that could disqualify me from the table? 
It's exactly what I'm saying if you've placed your faith in Christ. If, if, um, if you feel like there's a sin not covered so that you can't come to the table, there's a major problem because that means Jesus is still in the grave for you if he's still paying your penalty. Does that make sense? See, because if, 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 you've, if you've done something or you have sin in your life that's not paid for by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, that means Jesus needs to keep paying it and he wouldn't have risen from the grave. That's why Paul says if there's no resurrection, we're all in trouble. But there was a resurrection. And because Jesus rose from the grave, you see, that is our validation, you all, that our sins are paid for, for all who put their trust in Christ. That makes sense? Oh my goodness, we run to the table if we're in Christ Jesus. Now, because I've got the time now, and oftentimes we don't, let me say something that I've always wanted to say and probably need to say more. If you've not put your trust in Christ, why not put your trust in Christ right now? And there's, in the room, maybe you haven't put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can do it right now. You can, what do you mean you can do it right now? You can believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again, and believe he did it for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Boom, that's what it means. I believe it. In that moment, I am forgiven of all my sins, clothed in Christ's righteousness, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And when we pass these plates, and when we pass the cup and bread, take the bread and cup. Because you're going, I do believe. So you take the bread and cup, symbolic of that belief. Now, here's what I meant a moment ago when I said I never get to say this. I want to say this. There's, there's some of you in the room who haven't placed your faith in Christ and, and you don't want to yet. And I go, that's okay. I, I, I can't tell you how glad we are that you're here. You're at church. You know what you were going to hear and, and, and we want to tell you Jesus loves you enough that he gave his life for you to pay the penalty for your sin. And as the plates are passed, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna invite those who've trusted Christ to take it, but see, if you were to take the bread and the cup, but you really don't believe in Jesus and haven't trusted him, that would not be integrous for you. Does that make sense? And so here's what's the troubling thing. Rob and I have just looked at each other and go, this is so awkward, this is so hard. How do we as a community of faith where here in the room there are some who've not come to faith and we're glad you're considering that, but when we take this bread and cup, you don't take the bread and cup. You talk about feeling awkward and, and Rob and I wanna go, I don't wanna make people feel awkward. What, what do you do so that we don't make you feel awkward? I don't know, I don't know. Other than what I'm doing right now and say to you, you are the bravest person in the room that you're here and having not trusted Christ, you could... You could be with us as we celebrate this table. And, and what I would say to you is, thank you. And what I would say to you is, as you watch us take this bread and cup, please know there's no judgment upon you. I hope you would look at us and go, wow, they believe Jesus is who he said he was and they, they're demonstrating it to each other and taking this bread and cup. It would be wrong of me to not, say this to you and to keep and to not tell you that you don't have a seat at the table if you've not trusted Christ. And I hope when you see everyone in the room that takes the bread and cup, you would look at it and go, I, that, 
they're doing this because they want me to be at the table. I don't know how to get myself out of this, but I'm trying to express God's great love for you and, and, and the awkwardness, quite frankly, of how we do church. And that by his spirit, I pray it might be, it might be love. And love is, the, love is telling the truth. All right, let's stand together. We're gonna pass the elements. I want you to hold the bread. I want you to hold the cup and we'll take them together. I've got a few more things I wanna say, but let me let you start passing the plates, please. Take the bread, take the cup and hold it in your hand and we will take them together in just a moment. So hold the bread and the cup. and cup go around I want to draw your attention back to the front to say Old Testament the altar precedes the table covered for a thousand years in the blood of bulls and goats and lambs when you come to the New Testament there's no altar like that No, the altar becomes a cross. And you see, this cross, it's blood covered. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, as Peter says, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Life is in the blood. He poured his life out for us to establish the new covenant. And the bloody cross precedes the table see the principle always remains that the altar then the table the cross secures the communion does this make sense now why do I say this and this is something you know I'm learning and, and I think we need to learn as a community of faith the Lord's table is sober it's It's serious. But y'all, it's a meal. (laughs) You know, they had a a big meal. You know, you notice in this passage, you notice he takes that first cup and says, pass it around. That's not the cup of the Lord's table. Because then it says he takes the bread and then it says he takes another cup. What's going on? It's cup, bread, cup. No, well, because in the Passover meal, there were four cups. They're doing a Passover meal. So we think that first cup was probably a cup of blessing. And then they tell the story. They have a big meal. Then they take another cup. Then they take, another, they take four cups total. So the second cup, I don't, know if it's the first, I don't know if it's the second, third, or fourth of the Passover meal. We don't know for sure. But he then takes that cup, you see, and says, this is my blood that cuts the new covenant. And I'm saying that to say, Altar, meal, <laughs> happy meal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a celebration. So as we take this, take, anytime we take the Lord's table, 
we are not at the altar, which means in our Christian parlance, okay, we are not, what day is this on the cross? What day is this? What do we celebrate on this day or what do we recognize? So when we go to the table, right, when we go to the Lord's table, we are not at Good Friday is what I'm trying to say. That's, that's not what you're holding in your hands. That's not what they're celebrating. We are, when we take the Lord's table, where? What day? It's Easter, y'all. It's Easter. And you know, we always save Easter like the big celebration and surely we miss what God intends and recognition that every day is Easter. Jesus is alive. And so we gotta learn this. When we take the Lord's table, it's a feast. And so here's what you're gonna do. I'm gonna turn you loose in a moment to do this, just to turn to a few people around you. And I want you to say, he is risen. And they'll say, he is risen indeed. And turns out, he is risen. And they'll say, so two or three people, and, and it's not like, he's risen. He's risen. He is, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and I don't want to over, I don't want to speak in hyperbole because we're not used to this. But the truth is, biblically, the Lord's table is a celebration. We, we haven't always treated it like that, have we? I haven't. May we grow in that. So today, when you've greeted a couple people, he is risen, he is risen indeed. After you've done that a little bit, then take the bread and cup in that spirit of celebration. Let's turn, say to one another, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Then take the bread and cup on your own. <laughs>